Hello and welcome to the SB Nation College Ball Recruiting Podcast. This is Bud Elliott, the National Director of Recruiting for SB Nation. Uh, and this podcast is being recorded live, simultaneous with our Facebook Live effort. And uh, already we have a comment noting that this is boring AF. So hopefully we will uh, improve on the show as this goes on. That's not a great start in the first minute. As always, I go through the uh, the blue chip commitments of the week since the last time we recorded this show, which I think was on the 25th or the 26th. So, let's run down these big commitments of the week. First of all, a great week for Texas A&M. Uh, the Aggies ended up landing uh, four-star quarterback Kellen Mond, who is originally from San Antonio uh, and is now playing his ball at IMG, which is in Bradenton, Florida. They also landed Creed Humphrey, uh, who is a offensive lineman, a four-star out of Oklahoma, and that led to a funny uh, incident where one of Oklahoma's coaches ended up sending a sort of cryptic subtweet about either winning championships or talking about winning championships. And uh, then when I pointed out it was a subtweet, uh, that coach, Kale Gundy, ended up blocking me on Twitter. So good week for A&M. Uh, last week it looked like their class was a little bit light on star power. And uh, this week they are doing much better with those numbers. Also important to note that Mond was a former uh, Baylor commitment. So uh, a decommitment to note, Katie Nixon, four-star receiver, ended up dropping Tennessee and reopening his recruitment. Texas actually landed two former Baylor signees from the 2016 class in J.P. Urquidez and Patrick Hudson. So excellent pickups there for the Longhorns. And those are our pickups that they needed because they, they've struggled to recruit on offense under Charlie Strong. Their defensive recruiting has been extremely strong understrong, pun intended, uh, as you might expect. But their offensive recruiting had lagged behind a little bit, and so they are doing better with that now. Uh, Jamon Ospin and Manny, Manny Netterly are two uh, four-star receiver types who ended up going to LSU. Uh, Ospin actually plays at the IMG Academy, and Netherly is a former A&M uh, commitment who had decommitted. Five-star offensive lineman Wyatt Davis uh, committed to Ohio State. That gives up the Buckeyes a real chance here I don't want to say a great chance, but a non-zero chance to sign a class that is entirely made up of four- and five-star players. Uh, that has, with the exception of a kicker. I don't think that's happened in recent memory. Not that we could find, at least. I know our Ohio State site, Land Grant Holy Land, had a good article about those that the possibility of doing that. The only time it looks like that people have been able to, to, to or teams have been able to assemble a class like that, has been if they've been on probation and they're limited in terms of scholarships. Uh, Florida landed four-star defensive end Zachary Carter, beating out Clemson. He actually head fakes some folks. The word in the industry he was he, he was going to commit to Clemson because he had just visited. Ended up going with his longtime favorite, the uh, the Florida Gators there. And then Rutgers, beating out a number of top teams for four-star linebacker Tyshawn Fogg. Nice job, Rutgers. Look at that. So, some non- Blue Blood teams getting in on, on the recruiting game. And I know we have a couple of Rutgers questions from the readers. I'll get to those later in the podcast. Segment two, I always go over the stuff I wrote about this week. Uh, first, I was at the IMG 7-on-7 seven seven National Championships at, in Bradenton, which is only about 90 minutes from my house. Uh, a great location if you cover recruiting. And uh, it was great. Got to see a lot of, a lot of talented prospects. Only had Only had one major rain delay. While I was there, uh, the second rain delay hit a little bit later and ended up heading for the house because I wasn't going to wait around at IMG until 9 o'clock at night to finish a 7-on-7 seven seven tournament uh, on a Sunday. But uh, some some really good prospects out there. I, I was impressed with Malcolm Askew of, of Auburn. 
Uh, Craig Yeast, who is now decommitted from Kentucky. Uh, Mac Jones had a really nice first day. Second day, not quite as good. I wrote about that. Uh, I podcasted about that. And we actually gathered quite a bit of video content that you'll be seeing on SB Nation sites in the coming weeks. Next, uh, what I wrote about this week, and this is a, a take on Alex Kirshner's excellent article. Which states have the most talent? Well, the first three are pretty obvious, as you all probably know. Um, Florida, Texas, and California. But what about the, st- what about the states after that? It, it, after that, it goes Georgia, Ohio, Louisiana, Alabama. Um, and we actually figured out that I think it was either seven or nine states. When you, Yeah, there, there's nine states. If you put them together, they have doubled the talent, the elite talent, of the rest of the nation combined. And that's, that's pretty impressive right there. Uh, if you take just the top four or five, they have about as much elite talent as the rest of the nation combined as well. But if you take the top nine, they actually double up, uh, which is, it really shows how difficult it can be to recruit in some of these states. Finally, uh, we asked Mac Jones, the Alabama quarterback recruit out of Jacksonville Bowles High School, whether Alabama could actually sign five blue chip receivers, because it looks like they, they have a, a, a true shot to do it. They already have Tyrell Shavers out, out of Texas uh, committed. And then there's four more guys on their board. Nico Collins from Alabama, Henry Ruggs III from Alabama, Devontae Smith from Louisiana, and Jerry Judy from Florida. And so I said, do you really think you can sign four more? And he said, eh, I, I don't know. So the question I asked him on video was, if you had to pick three, who would you go with? And he said, I, I think Nico Collins is going to leave the state. I would go with Devontae Smith, Jerry Judy, and Henry Ruggs. Now, there's a rumor going around in recruiting circles that, that Devontae Smith is already a silent commitment to the Tide. Um, and certainly a lot of Alabama people feel extremely confident about that. And there's some LSU people wondering if how much effort they're actually going to continue to put in to recruit Devontae Smith. Uh, there's, there's a strong connection there with Jeremy Pruitt and some of the important decision makers in Smith's recruiting circles. I think Mac might be right. Alabama might not sign four more blue chips, but they might end up signing four overall, adding three of those guys to the, the Tyrell Shavers that they already have. And that would be an incredible haul if you're a quarterback recruit to throw to. So I, I know he's very happy about that. Now let's get into some of the questions. Why is Jordan Scott rated so low? Well, Jordan Scott is a uh, um, three-star defensive tackle recruit who's committed to Florida out of the Bay Area. The reason why he's he's so he's rated so low, I think, is because of his height and weight. He's not very tall, but he is about 335, 340 pounds. The weight is maybe a little bit excessive. Uh, I think he's, he's working hard to drop some of it. Uh, he used to be a little bit heavier. Uh, the height, I think, is probably the reason why he's not rated as a higher player, because I agree the film really does look good. Is he going to be able to, to, use his, to have enough length to deal with blockers on the inside? Or is he a guy that's going to have to do just, just penetration-type stuff only? Uh, if you don't have length there at defensive tackle position, you can still be a really good player. You know, Warren Sapp was not the longest guy in the world. But it can be a hindrance at times, too. So I think that's probably why. If he has another strong season, though, it wouldn't shock me at all to see Jordan Scott rise up and become a four-star recruit by the end of this process. All right. Uh, another question on Twitter from uh, Jake Rinda 3 Who is recruiting better right now, Florida or Miami? You know, I'm really not 
I don't know that either side is recruiting so much better than the other side to to make a call on this. And I'm not trying to go for a cop-out answer, but kind of like how everybody wants to claim that things are either great or terrible, and the vast majority of folks on the bell curve are, are actually kind of somewhere in the middle. Uh, I think Florida and Miami are both doing some good things in recruiting right now, but I don't see one having a massive advantage over the other. Now, Miami has a little bit more filler in its class. They have five blue chips and nine non-blue chips, rating subject to change, of course. And Florida has five and five. So they have a little bit more room in their class to add on more elite prospects. But Miami feels like it has a little bit more momentum right now. Florida has, has done some good things in recent weeks. Obviously, they added Jordan Scott a while back. They got Zach Carter. Miami's doing a really solid job as well. I think there's a chance, though, that Florida may pull ahead if McIlwain could put together another good season. Because if on the surface, Florida winning 10 games last year was, was extremely impressive. Uh, the way that they lost those games down the stretch, I believe, along with the Will Greer suspension, did have an effect on their recruiting. So that'll be something to look for. If they can put together another 9-10 win season, though, then McIlwain is going to most likely have developed players well. They'll send more guys to the draft. That, that could be a big-time boon for them in recruiting. Miami, on the other hand, I think their win-loss total in Vegas right now is, I think, seven games. So if they go seven and five, depending on who the losses come to, that, that could be an issue. So I, I do believe this is probably a little bit too close to call to make any sort of definitive judgment, and we'll have to wait and see how their seasons go. Uh, Chris Kirshner of the AJC asks, uh, can you make an edit for the top 10 questions you received for this tweet. Uh, and please make sure they're not in any order. Yeah, this is a response to me uh, kind of ranting on Twitter a little bit earlier this week about how I generally tend to ignore prospects' top 10 list. And the reason is I don't believe them, right? Hold on, I'm going to retweet this. Cool. I don't believe prospects' top 10 list to be kind of a true reflection of their true feelings oftentimes. And the reason is I actually will ask them, Hey, who's in your top 10 after they've already released it on Twitter. And a lot of times they can't remember who they put in the top 10. I want to know who they can actually remember putting up there because those are the schools they're truly interested in. And I think a lot of these kids do this stuff just for attention. And as some look, I, they can do whatever the heck they want. It's not hurting anybody. As someone who has to cover recruiting for a living, it is a little bit annoying uh, and I generally tend to to ignore it. I, I think a, a better number, instead of a top 10, I propose that we have a top seven, right? And the reason is this. You get to take five trips paid for by the NCAA on your official visits. Of those five, and those happen in the fall or after your senior season, you probably have a pretty good idea of three or four of those schools. So if you got three trips lined up, Maybe you have four schools competing for your final two trips, assuming you want to take all five trips. But I've never really, and, and that's a good number to have. Okay, those are seven schools that you actually have legitimate interest in, probably closer to six or five because a lot of kids don't take all five trips. I don't think I've ever come across a kid who was seriously considering 10 schools at, at, at all. and Or a lot of times you'll see a kid who is not being seriously considered by some of the schools in his top 10 list. It works the other way too. So good question there, Chris. I, I appreciate that. A little inside baseball for y'all who I assume you like this. If you're actually watching a college football recruiting podcast being recorded live, uh, 
on a Friday. Uh, we have Morrison crying here, asking thoughts on how good Kentucky could have been had they kept some of the best 2017 commitments in the class who decommitted. And this is a good question. Kentucky, I've given Mark Stoops and his, and his staff a lot of credit in the past for how well they've scouted and identified prospects. I've said for a while, I think probably 18 months, that Mac Jones was the best 2018 quarterback in the state of Florida. And for a while, people kind of laughed at me because he was committed to Kentucky, and Kentucky was one of the only ones on him. But when Alabama flipped him, folks stopped laughing. Same thing with Craig East. I think Craig East is an excellent prospect. I saw some stuff floating around message boards this week that was tweeted at me about folks downing uh, Craig East, the, the junior or the third, whatever he is. I, I talked to him for a while at the, I, at the IMG game. I thought he looked great as a receiver, and I thought he looked great as a corner. That kid can really play. And, and if Kentucky had kept those two kids in the class, uh, yeah, their class would have been a heck of a lot better. However, I will say, if you're going to lose a kid, the earlier you can lose him, the better, because that gives you more time to form a, a backup plan and develop one. So that's, that's something to keep in mind there. All right, uh, let's take a question from Facebook. Uh, thoughts on Oklahoma's recruiting so far? I, I think they're doing a great job. You're really seeing Oklahoma staff get after it, especially in the state of Texas. They're always going to do a decent job in California, but you have more studs out of Texas this year committed to Oklahoma. I like the defensive back class they're assembling, especially I saw those guys at the Dallas regional opening. That was really impressive. Uh, if they have another good season like they're expected to do, I, I think you're going to see Oklahoma land a top 10 class. All right, uh, Dave Tucker at Testudo Dave, who used to run Testudo Times with my buddy Pete Volk, uh, now run by uh, Alice Kirshner and Ryan Collins. Where do you think Maryland ends up ranking-wise uh, when it's when is the 2017 class or, or uh, when it's 2017 class is wrapped up? So, where do I think Maryland's going to end up? They're off to a great start. I think they're already inside the top 30. And so the question in my mind, I'm going to frame it as: Can Maryland end up with a top 30 class? Well, right now in Vegas, their over-under win total is only four and a half. That's not very good uh, if you're Maryland. So one of the problems if you're Maryland and and one of the challenges you're going to face, can you get kids to stay committed to you and to understand, hey, you're coming here to play early. Early playing time is available because we don't have very good players on this roster right now. We, we have to to restock this roster, and that's why we need you. But understand that we're going to lose a good number of ball games this year, right? So definitely something to, to, to watch there. I'm going to say if Maryland can make a bowl, then there's a pretty good shot that they will uh, be able to keep a top 30 or top 35 class. If they end up losing eight or nine games, like if they go three and nine or, or four and eight, then I think it's going to be tougher because some kids are going to, regardless of how much in advance you tell them about how the season could or probably will go, I do think it's possible that they lose some faith in you. All right, uh, still taking questions on Facebook and uh, not taking any more questions on Twitter right now. I've already grabbed all those and I don't want to keep switching back and forth from Windows. Uh, Norco. 210 asks, and he had, I think, three questions this week, so we'll see if we can get to all of those. Uh, opinion on Vanderbilt recruiting picking up lately? Well, I, I, I trust Derek Mason's scouting ability. I think he's always been good at picking players. Uh, 
And up for a couple of weeks ago, Maryland or uh, Virginia did not have any commitments, and that's not a good place to be if you're a coach who I don't know if we want to call it the the hot seat, but certainly the warm seat. We see this a lot. Coaches who are going to be on the hot seat, they accept a bunch of commitments from players uh, leading up to to the regular season, so that it kind of quiets some of the critics of Hey, this this isn't going very well in the field, and it's also not going very well. Um, off the field on the recruiting trail. At, at, we saw, I think, mm, I think you could say probably Al Golden staff did this last year. It didn't work. They got fired anyway because Clemson just destroyed them in uh, in Sun Life Stadium. I'm not saying that's what, what Derek Mason is doing at Vanderbilt. I'm sure he likes the kids he got. But at the same time, I am saying that there is uh, there's some chance that maybe some of these kids are, are, are taken due to that. All right. Uh, if you're, li- if you're watching this online, uh, note that the, the audio has gone out. I'm going to hit pause here real quick. All right. And we're back. Um, another question from Norco 210. It says halfway through the satellite camp season, do you see any big difference in the number of kids going to certain schools? And, and I don't, uh, Maybe some small differences. I think Michigan's plan, uh, this is also another question we received, will all the uh, Harbaugh antics pay off? I think Harbaugh's antics will help them in recruiting as long as they continue to win. Now, some of them might get old and some of them are kind of cheesy, there's no doubt. Uh, But I do think it'll probably help them with maybe one or two kids a year. At the same time, it's Jim Harbaugh and this is Michigan. It's not like they were not going to be able to recruit already. Uh, So that's... Just something to keep in mind there. I don't know if all the stuff he does is necessary, but I, I do think it probably helps some. All right. Uh, also from Norco, the last one. Uh, if you send in questions early, you're more likely to have me write them down and answer them. Uh, who are the best options for Florida State at the defensive end position? Uh, I would say Robert Beal, uh, Marcavius Bryant, and Jerez Parks. I, I think that there's a... A very strong shot they land at least one of those, uh, and a decent shot they get two. Uh, Dean Morella says, how is Rutgers doing fencing, fencing the Garden State, uh, and who do they need to land for this class to be successful this year? You know, to be honest, I have not looked at Rutgers recruiting board to tell you who else they need to land for it to be a successful class. Um, I will try to do a little more digging on that. I think they're doing great so far, though. I mean, just looking up and down their, their recruiting roster, they, they really have a number of players who I think can make an impact in the Big Ten. That is a program, though, that is kind of limited by the division it's in, and, and the same goes for Maryland above. You need to kind of define a reasonable success and don't fall into the Jim Grove, uh, Glenn Mason trap, if you will, where all of a sudden going to bowl games at a school where you're the fifth or sixth or maybe seventh best program in the division is no longer acceptable. If if Chris Ash is able to do that with Rutgers, they're, they're a school that really doesn't control their own destiny if you get if you get my drift. Now, what is their over-under win total in Vegas? Because I always look at this preseason to say, okay, what's a reasonable expectation? Because fans' expectations are typically not all that reasonable. Well, the number for, for Rutgers is four and a half. Four and a half wins. Is Rutgers going to be able to keep this recruiting pace up if they go four and eight, four and a half wins, five and seven? Maybe so, 
but my answer is almost exactly the same to the Maryland question in that you have to make sure kids understand that this is not going to be a good year, most likely. The reason why playing time is available is because you don't have very good players. And the, the reason why you can come in and start as a freshman is exactly that. So they have to say, hey, you know what? Yeah, they might suck this year. But going forward, I can make a difference with that. Uh, QTZ in H-Town, uh, Twitter name QTZ Fashizi, hypothetical question. I'm a middling three-star linebacker in Texas or Florida. Few power five level uh, group of f- or group of five offers. What school should I check for development, culture, and defensive mentality? Well, I, I, I got three off the top of my head. I think Kansas State does a great job still playing defense in the Big 12, and they definitely develop players and scout well. Mississippi State, I think, in, in the SEC, does a fantastic job, and you're going to be on TV a whole lot if, if that matters to you, although kind of everybody's on TV uh, nowadays. And then a group of five school in Florida. I think USF plays very strong defense. I, I, I like that staff. I think they do a good job, and, and they have things moving in the right direction in Tampa. So those would be my three picks. Uh, hashtag Hunter, Hunter Dryden, asks, Auburn can't land quarterback targets. Uh, they did miss out on Kellen Mond earlier, and uh, they, they also lost Lowell Narcisse back to LSU earlier in the year. Is there a reason for this outside the obvious poor track record of quarterback development? Um, I don't think so. Maybe that Gus Malzahn's on the hot seat and Auburn's over under win total in Vegas is six and a half and kids aren't real convinced that the program is moving in the right direction and they just lost Damian Craig in what totally appears to be from the outside, a lateral move to LSU since LSU apparently came pretty close to firing less miles last year. If you're a quarterback target, though, let's let's ask some, some tough questions here about Auburn. What kind of quarterback does Auburn want? Because for a while, it seemed like they were trying to go away from that super mobile QB and get somebody who could actually get some consistent completions. Away from the Nick Marshall type and towards the Tyler Queen and Sean White type. Now, it didn't really work out all that great last year, and, and Josh Johnson was was kind of a disaster. If I'm a quarterback looking at Auburn, though, and, and I'm... I'm not trying to recruit it for or against anybody here. The only QB to come out of Auburn and and get drafted that, that I can recall under Gus Malzahn is the biggest athletic freak at quarterback we've ever seen, depending on what your thoughts are on Vince Young, I guess. But Cam Newton. Cam Newton would get drafted out of any system. These kids, a lot of them have seen Cam Newton in person, and they probably realize they're not Cam. Auburn needs to, I think, in order to land a good quarterback commitment this year, they have to do a better job with their QBs. Like you said, the track record, I believe, is hurting them. Also, the potential that the staff you commit to could could very easily get fired uh, if they lose five games again. Uh, Second question from Josh Black uh, says, Who are these two commitments expected for Auburn that the current commitments are speaking of? Where Where do you see Auburn on National Signing Day? Well, Number one, I don't know for sure who the two commitments are. I probably should have researched this a little bit better before hitting record. Uh, I would guess one of them might be Trey McKitty, uh, who I, I know likes Auburn, the tight end, out of the IMG Academy uh, quite a bit. He also likes Oregon. Uh, one of his friends told me he was going to Oregon, and I told him I would bet on that, um, bet against that, because Florida kids simply love to talk about the prospect of going to Oregon, but they don't actually end up going to Oregon. Seems to be a little disconnect in, in reality there. And uh, 
All right, let's see if we've got any more questions here real quick. I don't know who the other one is. I would say that I don't know what's going to happen to uh, to Auburn on National Signing Day because I don't know what's going to happen with the team. You know, if if Auburn has a good year, they could land a top 15 class. If they don't, then you got to try and find a, another coach to come in there, and he has to try and salvage the class with six to eight weeks to go uh, before National Signing Day. So I, I that's a very difficult one to predict. Uh, thoughts on Syracuse's class so far, particularly Tommy DeVito's rise. We also got another question about that. Uh, after Tommy DeVito's great performance at the Elite 11, do you think recruiters from bigger schools, especially those without a quarterback commit, will try to lure him away from Syracuse, and do you think they will be successful? Well, I, look, if you're going to run Dino Baber's system, that's you got to have a guy who can sling a rock all over the field. DeVito certainly can. He seems to be buying in to the Syracuse system. I think he likes the possibility of being a three- or four-year starter there, uh, and I think he has a good chance to come in and win that job, assuming he continues to develop physically. But, yeah, I think other programs will certainly come after him. And, again, how good do you think the Auburn t- or the uh, the Syracuse Orange men are going to be this year? Let's go to the uh, to, to the Vegas odds to see what they think about Syracuse. Uh, CFB win totals. This is from the South Point Casino in Las Vegas, not some... Shady offshore casino uh, in Latvia. Those are the 2015 ones. Click on the 2016. All right. Uh, so Syracuse is predicted at four, four even, not four and a half. So Vegas thinks Syracuse is going four and eight. Look, if they go four and eight and their offense looks like a train wreck, which who knows, it might in, in a year which. Um, you know, they have to implement a totally new system. Does DeVito reconsider? I'm sure he says he's solid to Syracuse, but I've, I've been doing this for you know, almost a decade now, and we see kids reconsider all the time. So I would never count that out, but I am impressed with him. And I do think the prospect of throwing the ball around that many times has got to be attractive to, to any quarterback uh, out there. All right, got a question from uh, Abe Froman with some creative spelling there. Uh, with the troubles at Baylor, who benefits more in recruiting? TCU, Texas, or Texas A&M? Uh, I'm going to take the easy answer here and go with Texas, considering that three of Baylor's top kids just uh, just went over there in DuVernay, Hudson, and Arquides. Captain Kidd asks, which 2016 LSU receiver did you like the best? Who does Drake Davis remind you of? Well, uh, thanks for the follow-up, because I was actually going to say Drake Davis is the most impressive to me. I know Stephen Sullivan is rated a little bit higher, but he could actually grow into a tight end at six foot six and two hundred and thirty-five, two hundred forty pounds, or something like that. Uh, hmm. Who does Drake Davis remind me of? God, I don't know. That's tough. Nobody, I, I guess, because he's a kid who took off a year of playing football to go focus on soccer. Like he was that athletic to where even though he's six foot three or six foot four or whatever, he could move around and, and play soccer at a very elite level and, and was actually serious about playing pro soccer. Uh, he told me now, ultimately he realized football was probably his better long-term future. You don't see that many six foot four guys playing soccer uh, in America or otherwise, but uh, just incredible athleticism and body control. If he learns the game more and, and has a better feel for the game, then, then I think we're going to have some big-time returns with Drake Davis and Baton Rouge. 
Uh, let's check Facebook for some questions here real quick. Uh, doesn't look like we have any new ones. I'll hit refresh. By the way, if I answer your question on this, I'd really appreciate it if you take and use that little share button down there and share this with your friends. Uh, this is this is the reason why I put it on Facebook so you can share it with with your buddies and uh, um, so we can we can keep this thing going. Uh, yeah, no new questions. Okay. Uh, Jake Self asks, Will Demetrius Robertson's uh, development suffer at Cal? especially now that they have no notable quarterback to throw in the ball. Um, second question is, is his choice also a vote of no confidence for Kirby Smart? Surely there are doubts over losing a five-star to Cal. I'm going to say no and no. Uh, Demetrius Robertson is not an idiot, right? He didn't get the SAT score to get into Stanford, but at the same time, he's still a pretty bright kid. And I guarantee you he knew that... Uh, uh, that Jared Goff was le- was leaving Cal. He didn't just commit to Cal thinking Goff was going to be there, uh, especially because he waited to sign. So he already knew Goff was gone by the time he signed. I don't think his development's going to be hurt. He's a driven kid. He's extremely athletic. If he plays receiver for them, he'll be able to catch a million balls in that spread offense. Uh, if he plays DB, I'm sure he'll have plenty of opportunities to lock down kids too. Uh, I, and and no, I don't think it's a vote of no confidence for Kirby Smart. I, I think Georgia, and we got a question about Georgia on the Facebook page as well. Uh, I think Georgia's doing a fine job. They're they're doing well in recruiting. They have to go up against some of the, the big titans of college football. You know, if you're Kirby Smart, you got to recruit. I mean, think about who's close to you. You got to recruit against against Dabo, against Jimbo, against Nick Saban, against Urban Meyer and Jim Harbaugh trying to come down and recruit in Georgia. They're doing a fine job. It's not a vote of, vote of no confidence. Some people think uh, Robertson's family is moving out to California anyway, so. No, I'm going to say that's not a, a vote of no confidence. Got uh, five questions left here. First one from uh, Aaron FSU 85 uh, RE, the Bama question with different coaching staff, which was asked last week. I was asked, how well do you think, uh, I, think I think the question was like, how well would Nick Saban do at another school or how would other staffs do at Alabama? Uh, how well would other coaches do? recruit at Alabama? Could they maintain the recruiting levels without Nick without Nick Saban? Uh, and then he clarifies, he says, talking not Jimbo, not Meyer, not Harbaugh, etc. And I'm glad you teed me up for this question because I spoke about this on Twitter the other day. It, a lot of people assume that any coach could recruit well at a big-time school like that, but we know that's just not the case, right? Uh, hell, look at Alabama. Think about who was at Alabama before. Mike Shula didn't recruit very well at Alabama. When Nick Saban won that title in 2009, almost all the starters were guys that he recruited. Uh, so this idea that you take Gary Patterson and you put him at a super elite school or, or you know, Mike D'Antonio or, or, or Mark D'Antonio or Jim Grobe back when, when he was thinking about taking that Nebraska job when he was still at Wake, I don't buy that all these all these guys can just automatically recruit at the super high level, just because they get better resources. I, I, I just don't think that's accurate. Uh, recruiting, especially recruiting these prima donna high skill kids, is a different game than it is kids who are just kind of desperate to land any sort of power five offer. Um, and I think recruiting five stars is a different ball game and requires a little bit different skill set than recruiting three stars. 
But at the same time, there are certainly coaches who could do a good job at Bama and probably recruit to a similar level that Nick Saban is, assuming that Alabama would remain committed to spending the most money out of anybody and having the largest staff of evaluators and and film guys and shadow coaching staff and all that other stuff. Uh, I. Bayers asks, how long will the Will Muschamp experiment take to be successful at South Carolina? So, uh, South Carolina fans are not real happy with me right now because on Twitter I noted that South Carolina is a job where you really don't control your own destiny. You are sort of at the mercy of Georgia, Florida, and Tennessee underachieving. I do not believe South Carolina will ever be able to be on their level consistently. just doesn't have the tradition, the, the resources, the, the surrounding talent. just doesn't have it. They're, they're not a brand like a Florida or Georgia or, or Tennessee. So how do we define success for Will Muschamp? In recruiting, I think that means that you are, are signing uh, you're very smart in your evaluations. You're taking guys who maybe have a lot of athleticism but are very raw and are cool with redshirting to develop and, and, and to be successful. I don't think South Carolina is going to consistently beat out top schools for a lot of elite prospects. It really didn't happen under Spurrier, the best coach in South Carolina history, with the exception of, of one one very unique year there in, in the state. Uh, you know, that this this could be an interesting year there for them. I do think that they need to to show improvement on defense. If you look in Vegas right now, there and I hate to keep doing this, but this is the most reliable win predictor. Uh, South Carolina over under win total is five. So Vegas does not think South Carolina is going to go to a bowl. So if that happens Already, Will Muschamp is a little bit behind the eight ball. I like that staff. I think Muschamp very likely may have learned from some of his mistakes he made at Florida, and I like that they're going to a more mobile quarterback model because I think that that's something that can work, especially if you can't compete for the most elite of pro-style kids. But it's going to take a while to rebuild that roster. I know the parents of some of the South Carolina kids used to hate when I would point out that they're not bringing in elite talent at the end of the Spurrier years, anywhere near compared to some of the, the division rivals. And last year, that finally came home to roost. They, they got they got their brains beat in on a couple of those ballgames. So, what is success for Will Muschamp at South Carolina? If you look historically at South Carolina, I think if you go to bowl games more often than not, that's success. Will South Carolina fans feel like that's a success? Absolutely not. It, it Your take... Even though Spurrier didn't have immense success on a national scale at South Carolina, he did have immense success relative to South Carolina's prior success, and it's very difficult to follow a legend like that. Let's say let's say Muschamp gets five years. I would define successful, assuming they don't start some insane scheduling practices. I think going to a bowl game four out of five years would be a big success, and I still think going to a bowl game three out of five years would be a pretty solid one, assuming they, cont- they continue to not, not really schedule a whole lot in the non-conference outside of Clemson. But that's probably not the answer that they uh, they want to hear. All right, Ryan Dewey asks, uh, why is a bowl ban uh, such a recruiting killer? I realize players get swag, but it's only $500 worth of stuff, right? What am I missing? Well, who was the last team that had a big-time bowl ban? Was it, was it USC, I think? That did hurt their recruiting, but... You know what hurt their recruiting more? Reduced scholarship numbers. Five stars still wanted to go to USC and did. At the same time, 
we always ask, right, why doesn't Leonard Fournette just sit out this season? Why doesn't Jadavion Clowney just sit out this season? That They're only risking injury. NFL teams would not penalize him for that. They would still take him extremely high overall. And the reason is these guys who are these super elite athletes are also, and especially when they're young, a lot of times the most competitive people. They can't stand not being able to compete for a championship. Even if you can't pay your mortgage or feed your family with the championship you win in college, and, and the NFL should probably be your greater focus, along with education and whatnot and development. These kids want to win championships. And so if you can't win titles because you're ineligible for them, that does impact it, whether that's a, a conference title or a national title or, or whatever. All right, uh, checking Facebook here for some more questions. And we see... All right, uh, John Casilio uh, Jr. asks, what is it going to take for the Atlantic Division to catch up to Florida State and Clemson from a recruiting standpoint? Or rather, are they better off focusing on better coaching hires? Yeah, that's not going to happen. That's not one of those things that, that can happen or will happen. You can't catch Florida State and Clemson. If Cle- Florida State and Clemson fall down, they can come down to your level. But none of the programs in the Atlantic Division can get up to that level. I tried to explain this to Boston College fans a few years back when they were actually winning the Atlantic Division. And I was trying to tell them, hey, you're here, but Florida State and Clemson are here. Traditionally, they're more like up here. There's a certain ceiling you can't surpass. The only real chance you have to win this division is that those teams are both down at the same time. And at the time, they had some really bad coaches, Tommy Bowden and and end of career, Bobby Bowden, so it was possible. There's really nothing they can do to catch those teams unless those teams shoot themselves in the foot. Um, Ryan Connors asks, how much of a shot is Maryland having uh, landing Chase Young and Anthony McFarlane? How important are they to the class? I think I think they have a real good shot. Um, wasn't Chase Young the kid who, who told us uh, he wants to be an FBI agent? That's pretty cool, by the way. If they went, if Maryland pulls an upset or two, I really think that's going to give people more reason to believe in the program. Not to, not to steal Charlie Strong's line there with the believe hashtag, but I, I think Maryland has has a really good shot to sign those guys. You know, it's only July, and, and I try to emphasize that. And certainly, we make our living on, on y'all caring about recruiting year round and not just on signing day. But at the same time. It's really hard to make concrete predictions in July. And that leads me to the last question from Doc Texas. Is it possible to predict way too early top 10 recruiting classes? If so, what teams might surprise us? And the answer is, uh, yeah. If you ask me to say who's going to be in the top 10 for recruiting at the end of the year, I'm not going to get that right. That's just, it's too unpredictable there. But let's write this down. I'm going to give you seven teams that I think will be in the top 10 of the recruiting in top 10 recruiting on the 247 sports composite at the end of the year. Ready? Alabama, USC, Ohio State, LSU, Notre Dame, Florida State, and Michigan. I think that's fair. Uh, and then I bet you that the other teams are going to come from some sort of uh, Auburn if they have a good year, Georgia, maybe Texas, uh, maybe Tennessee, maybe Oklahoma, those type those type of teams are probably going to round it out. And maybe there will be one surprise. But for the most part, I have a really hard time not seeing Alabama, USC, Ohio State, LSU, Notre Dame, Florida State, and Michigan being in that top 10. And, and that's one of the things about I'm actually writing about this year. It's just how static college football is. And yet we still love it anyway. 
One last check of the Facebook page for questions. I really appreciate you all tuning in. Again, if I answered your question, either on the podcast or, or from the Facebook Live broadcast, I, I certainly appreciate you shooting this around and, um, and sharing it with your friends. The more we can grow this, the more we'll do this. Um, yeah, looks like that's it. Certainly appreciate you all watching and listening to the College Football Recruiting Podcast on SB Nation. Make sure to share it, and if we ever get on iTunes, not yet, we will be soon. Hopefully, uh, rate and review us on there as well. In the meantime, have a good one. Stay safe on the 4th.